I'm taking your questions and hopefully giving you a biblical perspective in response today on BibleStudyPodcast.org, starting now. Everybody and welcome once again to BibleStudyPodcast.org. I'm your host, Toby Logsdon, and today is Wednesday, November the 14th. And of course, every second Wednesday of every month, we do a question and answer lesson in which I take your questions and I try to give you my answer, which I, you know, I, tr- I try to base it on both reason and, more importantly, on Scripture, on the Word of God. So that's what we're going to be doing today, but uh, let me get a couple announcements out of the way first. First of all, um, I know that some of you were looking forward to Matt starting um, a new study yesterday on the book of Job, and that was the plan, but uh, unfortunately, he is just, he's too busy this semester, and so uh, for that reason, he won't be doing any more studies on Bible study podcasts, at least for now, um, and and you know, hopefully at a later date, uh, you know, if, if the Lord leads him back, you know, we, we'd love to have him back to do some studies. But for the time being, I have uh, started looking for another person to start up an Old Testament study on Tuesdays. So uh, keep keep us in prayer about that, would you? If you would, uh, if you would keep that in prayer, I think we can all agree that we definitely want the Lord to lead the right person to this ministry to do an Old Testament study. So Thank you in advance for your prayers on that matter. I also wanted to ask you guys, I have put together all the transcripts from the podcasts that we've done on Romans, chapters 1 through 3, and uh, I've got close to 200 pages, and I'm actually looking at submitting this for publication. I don't know if any publishers will take it or not, but uh, what I'm what I'm looking at doing first is self-publishing. And, uh, you know, I, I don't imagine that a publisher would, would want to take, you know, just chapters, you know, one through three, you know, because, you know, they, they've got to be thinking, you know, well, what if this guy drops off the face of the earth? And, you know, all we have is one through three, but, you know, maybe when I complete the, the study on Romans, which will be who knows when, uh, maybe at that point I would, um, you know, submit it to some actual publishers. But I'm looking at doing some self-publishing with, um, with this. And so if that's something that you guys are interested in, I'm looking at getting it, uh, getting it hardbound. And I was thinking, you know, it would make a, a pretty good Christmas present, you know, possibly. And if you guys want, you know, I could, I could uh, personalize each one for you guys. You know, whatever would make it uh, neater for you, you know, I'd be willing to do. Uh, I'm looking at getting a few printed up to give as gifts to my family. So, uh, but shh, don't tell them. Uh, <laughs> don't want to ruin the surprise, although, uh, you know, I, I know my parents sometimes listen to these and I know my sisters listen to a couple of these so there's a chance that they just heard that but hopefully they won't listen before Christmas but anyway if that's something that you're interested in get in touch with me my email address is cleanslate.ministries at hotmail.com and if there's a big enough interest in that you know I'll, I'll know how many to order and uh, and we can go from there but uh, let's go ahead and start with a word of prayer today Lord I thank you so much that we have the opportunity to ask questions. And we thank you, Lord, that that your word speaks to us today and that your word is still relevant today in that it answers so many questions pertaining to issues that we deal with in our world. So, Lord, 
I just ask that you would bless the words from my mouth and the thoughts in my mind regarding these questions. And I just pray that that these would be biblical answers that would glorify you, Lord. We love you and we thank you for this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Our first question comes from our brother Garrett, who writes, quote, I am currently studying abroad for one year in Chile before heading off to college, and I listen to your podcast for spiritual growth as much as I can. Living in Chile, though, produces some interesting topics that arise, seeing to it that the majority of religious people here are Catholic. I used to be Catholic and can explain many of the things that others find confusing to a degree, but one thing I cannot explain is Mary. I don't even know how to ask or go about saying this, but is it possible sometime that you could give a short podcast on Mary. I find myself a little uncomfortable when people here put Mary on a level near Christ, or at least that's what it seems like. I feel that this is a topic that many other people have stored away in their minds with current hopes of settling it one day. Well, thank you so much, Garrett, for your question. That's a very good question, and that's something that uh, you know is definitely relevant to where you are, but it's also relevant to uh, to our culture here as well, because there are a lot of people who... Uh, I believe, don't understand, you know, what Mary's role is or, or, you know, should we esteem her? Should we hold her in high esteem or, you know, or what? What should we do about Mary? And so this is a good question. Thank you for, for sending that in. Now, the first thing that I bring up in discussions about Mary, and that's only when, when somebody really has an open mind and they're willing to listen to me. But the first thing that I'll bring up is the fact that we simply don't know much about her from the Bible. You know, if she were truly even remotely as important as Christ, you know, they, they put her basically immediately after Christ in terms of importance. But if she were even remotely as important as Christ, I think the Bible would say a lot more about her. But, you know, looking at, at history, in fact, Mary wasn't even referred to as, you know, the mother of God until the fifth century. You know, that was when they started calling her the mother of God. The early church didn't call her the mother of God. That was something, you know, much, much later. Secondly, there's no indication from the Bible that Mary was viewed as being anything beyond just a, a typical woman. Yes, she was blessed, but was she more than that? Was was she, you know, really highly esteemed, almost worshipped by those people in the early church? You know, neither the apostles nor the the early church recorded any notion of her perpetual virginity or her position as a mediator between man and God, which are things that, that the, the Roman church now affirms. But instead, the Bible tells us that there's only one mediator between man and God, and that's Jesus Christ. And the early church didn't pray to her. In fact, you know, prayers weren't even offered to her until the seventh century at the earliest. It might have been even a little bit later than that when uh, when the Catholic Church advocated praying to Mary. So, you know, another issue that you might want to bring up is that Mary wasn't chosen to give birth to Jesus because she was sinless. The Bible is clear that none are righteous, and that's something that we've learned in our Romans podcast, but that through faith, God credits righteousness to us. You know, this was the case with heroes of the faith, such as Abraham and David, and it was true of Mary as well. And if you want evidence for this, well, you know, how could she be perfect? How could she have been sinless if she even admitted that she needed a savior? And that's in Luke chapter 1 verse 47. So, you know, scripturally speaking, there's there's no reason to think that she was without sin either before or after she um, she gave birth to Christ. So, you know, of, of course, according to, um, to the Vatican Council too, 
uh, they wrote, quote, When she, that is Mary, is the subject of preaching and worship, she prompts the faithful to come to her son. But what does the Bible tell us about being prompted to come to Mary's son? That, that's Jesus, obviously. It tells us that it's the Holy Spirit, which has this pre-conversion evangelistic ministry to the lost. It's not Mary who has that ministry. It's the Holy Spirit. But also, don't miss the fact that it's said that Mary is to be the subject of worship. Whoa! You know, what did Jesus teach us in, in Matthew chapter 4, verse 10? He said, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So, uh, you know, those are those are just some points. And hopefully that's enough to at least, you know, start up some some deep and relevant conversations about this subject in which, you know, you can you can build bridges to these people based on uh, first on scripture and, and second on reason. So hopefully that works for you, Garrett. Uh, if you have any questions, of course, you can email me. There's also a book by uh, by Dr. Norman Geisler, who is my apologetics professor, of course, um, you know, and I've learned under him. But he wrote a book about the differences between Catholics and Protestants, and I would definitely recommend picking that book up. If you do a search on Amazon for uh, for Dr. Geisler, you should be able to find that with no problem. But uh, thank you so much, Garrett, for your question. God bless you, and, and thank you for sending that in. Our next question comes from Judy, who wrote and said, I was listening to the talk about Mormonism and how to speak with someone who is Mormon. My question is about when Paul was referring to Ephesus, the, the church at Ephesus, and warning against false teachers. It said that Paul was not addressing everyone, but just Ephesus. Couldn't that argument then be used for all letters in the Bible? I guess what I'm asking is, couldn't someone say that much of what Paul has shared with the churches in Rome, Corinth, and so on was only to be addressed to them, and so we do not need to incorporate those teachings into our own lives? Well, thank you for the question, Judy. That's a, a very good question. It's a valid question, and it's definitely something that we do need to address. And that was if you remember, um, maybe it was a week ago or so, I had mentioned the fact that I was interested in doing a study on interpretation with you guys in which, you know, we, we'd have a, we'd basically be in a forum on the internet and we'd be able to have some interaction and really get into some, some deep study and, and really learn how to, how to interpret and how to do hermeneutics. But, uh, you know, and of course, if you're interested in doing that, go to scriptureforums.org. And uh, down about halfway down the page, you'll see the post under um, under po the podcasting section. So if that's something that you're interested in, you can you can go there and do that. But uh, so far, only two people have really showed any interest. So we'll see. Uh, but anyway, back to your question. As always, you know, the first thing that we want to do when we're reading and trying to interpret scripture is we want to try and recognize the context, who is being spoken to or who is being referred to. Uh, you know, that's that's the first question that we want to ask always. When Paul wrote to various churches, uh, he was writing specifically to them, yes, but his writings contained principles which were relevant to issues that those churches were dealing with. And it's um, maybe not specifically issues that we're dealing with today, but we can take those principles that he was teaching and apply them today. There were some things that he wrote that only applied to his audience and which don't apply to us today, such as, you know, telling Timothy to, to take some wine for his stomach or, or asking Timothy to, to bring his cloak and his books. But 
you know, there really aren't any principles in those statements. Those aren't theology, and they're obviously context-specific. And that is that, that means they, they can't be carried over and applied to any other context. But, you know, looking at the prophecies in Scripture, which are context-specific, and, you know, we, we have to be able to... um. We have to be able to tell the difference, to be able to distinguish between ones that are context-specific and some which are not. And in order to tell the difference between them, in order to make that distinction, we have to look at who is being spoken to and determining whether the, the author intends to direct it only toward that person or group, or if the prophecy has some principle or some something that's being communicated that's, that's universal in nature. So, for example, to take the prophecy that we were talking about in our study on Mormons, this prophecy that Paul made in Acts chapter 20, verse 29, uh, you know, he said, quote, I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Well, you know, we can look at this and we can see that Paul was speaking directly to the church of Ephesus, directly to the elders of the church at Ephesus. And so it's therefore context specific. But, you know, in order to, to get an idea of what a, a verse that isn't context specific looks like, let's compare that with, um, you know, First Thessalonians chapter 4 verses 16 through 17, which say, quote, The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first, then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we shall always be with the Lord. Now, to whom is Paul writing here? He's writing to the church in Thessalonica, the Thessalonians. So who's he saying will be raised first? Those who are in Christ, who have passed away, will be raised first, according to this passage. But the real question that we want to address here is, who will be caught up in the clouds with them? Paul says, we will be caught up. But what is it that defines or, or constitutes who we are or who who we refers to we refers to living believers and that's what paul was communicating and that's the principle being communicated so obviously that isn't context specific the principle isn't context specific so we can make the distinction between something that is context specific and something that is not the main thing that you want to do is make that determination. And, of course, this is an issue that we would learn a great deal about if uh, if any of you wanted to participate in this study on hermeneutics and interpretation. But, uh, to be honest, it's almost kind of a case-by-case basis. You just have to look at it and see who is being written to and who's being spoken of or referred to. So, hopefully, uh, that isn't too vague for you and, and answers your question a little bit, Judy. Thank you, and God bless you. I, I do appreciate you listening, and I do hope that helps you out. Of course, you can email me anytime, cleanslate.ministries at hotmail.com, if you have any problems with that, or or if you have a, a, a verse in particular that you want you know, my opinion on or my interpretation of. I'd be more than happy to help you out with that. So, God bless you, Judy. Thank you for that question. And our last question for today comes from Charlie. And Charlie writes, quote, I recently read this on the website by a pastor who I think is a good man of God. He has a church called Faithful Word Baptist Church. To me, he raises some good questions. What are your thoughts? And he he quotes uh, what the pastor says, and the pastor goes on to assert, Somewhere on the face of the earth today, there must be a book that is 100% without error, the very words of God. God promised repeatedly throughout the Bible to preserve his word forever on the earth. 
And he quotes uh, Psalm chapter 12, verses 6 and 7, which say, The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace of the earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord, thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. If a man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God, then surely God has made his every word available to us. But where is God's word? The obvious choice is the King James Bible. If the King James Bible is not God's word, then where is God's word? It must be somewhere, and there's no parallel to the magnificent perfection of the King James Bible. And that's this pastor's argument that it's the the, the King James Bible is the preserved word of God. And I, I have to be honest with you, when he says if it's not uh, if, if the King James Bible is not God's word, then where is God's word? That right there tells you he doesn't believe that it's necessarily God's word. You know, if we could find something more perfect and more magnificent, what a subjective term that is, than, uh, than the King James Bible, then he might change his mind. But, you know, this is this argument is really nonsense. And uh, to be honest, I'm, I'm actually slightly familiar with Faithful Word Baptist Church because they do podcasts as well. And I, I've, I've seen their um i've seen their podcasts i haven't listened to them but i do know that they take great pride in the fact that they are what you would refer to as kjv onlyists and uh of course kjv is the king james version or um as my professor dr tom howell says the king jimmy version uh <laughs> whatever works for you but but let me read one review of uh faithful word baptist church from godcast1000.com which i think reveals quite a bit about them and, you know, again, I can't really speak to whether or not this is true because I haven't listened to them. I'm just reading this this one review. And this one reviewer writes, quote, It is not boring, I will give you that, but this man condemns Billy Graham and Joel Osteen to hell because they haven't preached it as fire and brimstone. And, you know, if that's true, uh, I, I really have to kind of wonder where this guy's coming from, this, this guy from Faithful Word Baptist Church. But... Let's go ahead and address the whole issue of KJV onlyism, and that, that's what we refer to, um, you know, people who who read only the King James. There are really three groups of people who could be classified as KJV onlyists. The first group would be people who prefer the KJV for no reason in particular, or maybe it's for an arbitrary reason, but uh, you know, maybe they think it's magnificent and that's why they prefer it. But they don't hold that the KJV is the only translation that people should be using. The second group is people who would say that, you know, maybe the the Greek and the Hebrew manuscripts that the KJV translators used were somehow or for some reason superior to the Greek and Hebrew manuscripts used by the translators of other versions of the Bible or for, for other translations. And the third group of people would be people who maintain that the KJV is the only translation that anyone in any place should be reading because it constitutes the only divinely inspired, preserved, inerrant, and authoritative word of God for this generation. And that's why people like this, they actually send missionaries out to teach people English so that they can read the KJV. And if you ask me, that's that's just sickening. But, um, you know, this is the group of people that I'm going to address today, the, this third group, which say that um, that the, the KJV is the only divinely inspired, preserved, inerrant, and authoritative word of God. But uh, let's let's go ahead and talk with some of the problems that um, that we have to address when we're talking about the KJV or uh, when we're addressing KJV onlyism. 
the first thing that I have to bring up is which version of the KJV should someone use? There have been multiple, multiple, multiple revisions due to the fact that there are words from the original manuscripts which were mistranslated in the KJV. In the original KJV translation, which was in 1611, Matthew chapter 26, 36 reads, Then cometh Judas... But the Greek text, and this was actually corrected in, in later editions of the KJV, the Greek text refers to Jesus. It says, then cometh Jesus, not Judas. So uh, this is, you know, it's been corrected, like I said, but obviously this is an example of an absolutely huge mistake. So is that preserved? Is that God's word preserved perfectly? You know, I, I don't think so. So obviously the 1611 translation of uh, the KJV isn't perfect or inerrant. And uh, so let's move on. But, you know, like I said, there were revisions. In the 1613 revision of the KJV, the translators forgot to put the word not in the seventh commandment. Whoops. So it read, thou shalt commit adultery. And this actually became known as the Wicked Bible. Uh, this, this is almost comical. But, you know, is this the translation that God inspired? Obviously, it wasn't the 1613 version. And then a later revision of the KJV said, The unrighteous shall inherit the earth. Whoops. I mean, th this is just mistake after mistake after mistake. Is this God's word preserved perfectly? You know, you got to ask, you know, is it? Obviously, it's not. And there are dozens and dozens and dozens of errors in today's KJV as well, such as Mark 6.20, where the word observed uh, should be translated protected. And obviously, there's a huge difference between observing, which means standing by watching and doing nothing, and protecting, which necessarily, by definition, indicates a proactive response. That's just a huge mistranslation that we find in our Bibles even today. Uh, Psalm 77, 2 in the KJV today says, My sore ran in the night. What does that mean? It sounds kind of disgusting if you ask me, but the correct translation of this should say something like, My hand was stretched out, but they haven't made that correction. And you can still find, you know, even even more examples than this. There are seriously dozens more examples of mistranslations which have existed and which still exist, and you can read more about these in James R. White's book called The King James Only Controversy that was put out by Bethany House Publishers. I think it was, it was in the 90s. It was like 93, 94, 95, somewhere around then. But the fact is that the first KJV translation was full of mistakes, and the modern edition is still full of mistakes and mistranslations. So how can this be the Word of God. The second point that I want to bring up is that the original manuscripts that were written directly by the biblical authors claimed to be divinely inspired. The KJV translators themselves never claimed to be divinely inspired. Instead, they explicitly wrote in their preface about their, their conviction that this was only their translation and that they realized that some things were not translated perfectly and reading through their preface to the to the KJV translation you can't miss the fact that they're saying we didn't get this completely right and we can look at the the documents that they translated from and see that they didn't get it right and and you know that's okay that doesn't mean that we can't use the KJV it just means that it's not perfect it's not inerrant and uh you know therefore it shouldn't be the only thing 
that we um, that we find authority in regarding the word of God. So, um, okay, let, let's move on to the third point. The third point is that God is perfect, and therefore the original manuscripts, which God directly inspired, which were God's word, were necessarily perfect because God can't be less than perfect. However, there are multiple translation errors in the King James Version. So, you know, and most of them might have been corrected over the years. That's fine. But because God's inspiration results in perfection, it's impossible that the KJV translators were directly inspired by God since these errors are so well documented. The KJV translators, again, I'm going to just hit this one home. The KJV translators themselves realized that they made a lot of errors, and that's why they put notes in the margins regarding different ways of translating the same ancient uh, Hebrew and Greek manuscripts. I mean, if you look at the original KJV, there were notes in the margins saying, you know, maybe we got it wrong here. Maybe this is the way it should have been translated. But here's a question to ask somebody who believes in uh, King James Version onlyism. Uh, since the King James Version is supposedly inspired, and since the 1611 version contained multiple translation errors and thus couldn't be the result of God's divine inspiration, which revision is the inspired one? They can't answer that one. That's the problem with KJV onlyism. They can't tell you which revision is the inspired one because even today, the KJV has errors in it. Um, you know, another point that I want to bring up about KJV onlyism is the distinction between doctrine and method. Method is the means through which doctrine is communicated. The translation of, of the Bible that a communicator uses is part of their method of teaching. It's not even a doctrinal issue. People who, who simply don't know better, uh, you know, whether they're just oblivious to the fact or, or maybe they're uneducated, um, but people who, who simply don't know better are usually the ones who confuse doctrine with method and vice versa. And, you know, this is the same problem with people who insist that we sing these songs that are over 100 years old rather than participating in music that you know, has been written more recently. And I'm not opposed to singing old music. I, I, I love hymns, but I also like the more contemporary things. But it just makes me um, kind of sad to see people making, uh, you know, the, the battle between uh, traditional worship and contemporary mu uh, music something that's doctrinal rather than just, just a method of worship. So anyway, moving on. Uh, another point to bring up is why do modern KJV onlyists reject the Apocrypha? Of course, the Apocrypha, um, those are books that, that didn't make it into our Bibles today. We don't recognize the Apocrypha as being scripture. But um, but the, the 1611 translators included the Apocrypha in their translation, in their Bible, in their canon. So if... Um, if that was the version that was divinely inspired, then why aren't KJV onlyists preaching out of the Apocrypha today? It's because they really don't believe that that part of uh, of the Bible was divinely inspired. Well, why did why is you know part of it inspired and part of it not? If the KJV translators were inspired by God directly, um, then then there couldn't have been anything included which shouldn't have been there. So is the Apocrypha scriptural or is it not? And I would guess that most KJV onlyists would say, uh, no, the Apocrypha is not scripture. So that's just another issue to bring up with them. Uh, another issue to bring up is that the, the KJV is, by and large, incomprehensible to most people these days. In, in the words of, of the KJV translators themselves, they wrote in the preface, 
but how shall men meditate in that which they cannot understand? They also wrote, how shall they understand that which is kept close, uh, and, and that means uh, veiled or, or hidden, in an unknown tongue? Uh, that's a good question. You know, and they asked that, and that kind of reveals why they had made the, the KJV to begin with. But let's, uh, let, let's move on. They also asserted that it was contemporary translation, which, quote, opens the window to let in the light. Indeed, without translation into the vulgar, and um, that, that's, that's their word for common or modern, uh, indeed, without translation into the vulgar tongue, the unlearned are but like children at Jacob's well without a bucket. So right there, they are totally emphasizing the importance of having a version of the Bible, a translation of the Bible, that you can understand. The KJV was written in order that people would have a modern version at the time, which, which all persons would be able to easily understand. And that's why they wrote this in their preface. Now, somebody tell me what words like abushment or firkin or minish or pestle means because honestly i don't know but those are words that you'll find in the kjv now i don't want to sit there and read my bible in one hand and have my dictionary ready in the other hand i want to have a bible that i understand and that that speaks to me in my language there is meaning in language and in order for that meaning to be communicated the meaning must be communicated by a means that the audience can comprehend and this is the same reason that translators for other translations of the Bible translated, you know, the, the, the Greek and Hebrew into language that's understood by contemporary culture. You know, that's why we have the NASB. That's why we have the NIV. They're trying to give us something that we can understand because it's written in our language. But back to the KJV, you know, here are some examples of, of passages which are, are still in our KJV, which make absolutely no sense. Exodus chapter 19, verse 18, for example, which says, And Mount Sinai was altogether on a smoke. Well, what is a smoke? You know, in our, in our modern use of English, we don't refer to, uh, to something as being a smoke. We refer to smoke as kind of being a, a general word, but not a smoke. So what does that mean? Or uh, Psalm 5, 6, which says, Thou shalt destroy them that speak leasing. What does it mean to speak leasing? That makes absolutely no sense to me whatsoever. Of course, I can look at other translations, or I can look at the at the Hebrew and know what that word means. But you know, to speak leasing, nobody today refers to speaking leasing unless they are, uh, you know, quoting the KJV. But uh, you know, that's not typical language that people use today. 500 years ago, 400 years ago, that was language that they used, but it's not language that they use anymore. And, uh, you know, the last point that I want to bring up is that the translators themselves encouraged people to use other translations in order to uh, complete or facilitate their understanding of Scripture. And again, in their preface, they wrote, quote, a variety of translation is profitable for finding out the sense of the Scriptures, end of quote. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I mean, that the, the case seems closed to me. The KJV can't be the only version that we use today. It's not inerrant. It's not the preserved and perfect word of God. It is beneficial. You know, we, we can use the KJV and benefit from it because it does, for the most part, translate accurately, but we, we have difficulty understanding it. It uses language that we don't necessarily use today, and it does contain errors and, and language that don't seem to make any sense. So to assert that 
this is the 100% perfect word of God is just, that's somebody who's uneducated, to be honest with you. And I'm not trying to be rude. You know, I respect anyone who wants to, to hold only to the KJV, but you have to have answers for why you believe that this is the perfect book, the perfect, um, you know, rendition of the word of God. Obviously, it's not because something that's perfect can't be corrected. So... Anyway, those are just my thoughts. I would say that KJV onlyism is a, is is a heresy. It really is. It's it's a totally false teaching. I, I wouldn't want to sit under their teaching because I want to sit under the teaching of somebody who who has the facts. So, hopefully that answers your question, Charlie. I hope it does. And if it doesn't, of course, uh, like I say with everybody else, go ahead and, and email me, and I'll be happy to address any other issues that you might have with that. But God bless you, and, and thank you for sending that in. And I know that we have gone way over today. I just had a lot to say about the KJV, and I'm, I'm sorry about that. But uh, it is something that, that I thought was important and wanted to address thoroughly. So God bless you guys. Thank you again for listening today. Let me remind you that we are a nonprofit ministry, and we are listener-supported. Of course, I do want you to have your church as your primary recipient of of your giving. But if the Lord is leading you to support our ministry as well, we do need your support. And you can do that by either going to BibleStudyPodcast.org and clicking on support on the right-hand side and making a donation through PayPal. Or you can get in touch with me and I will give you our mailing address. So God bless you guys. Thank you so much for listening today. I'll see you guys next week on BibleStudyPodcast.org.